your agenda next week, the SWIFT program, which is the Sustainable Water Initiative for Tomorrow, which is an HRSD program. Y'all got briefed on, I think, in the summer, and this is an agreement that's following that up. But just to remind everybody what you're doing next week, um, John White, our stormwater engineer, is going to jump up and um, give you just a quick overview on that and, and for the audience at home as much as anybody. Uh, and then uh, Dr. Boone, school superintendent, will uh, come forward and uh, the, the mayor, vice mayor, uh, chairman Jordan, vice chair, and I uh, met uh, probably two or three weeks ago, and, and, and y'all had had some conversation in here about uh, having an opportunity to have a conversation with the superintendent before uh, you started your budget deliberations. So we want to uh, we want to make that happen. And um, uh, Dr. Boone was, uh, all does have a, another event that uh, I think he told me Granby High School. And so so we will put her first on the agenda, and then. Um, I think an exciting, um, evolving project for the reuse um, for the Selden Arcade and how we're going to connect into the main and how we're going to connect into the solar library and what we're going to use in that space. And uh, went to bend the deputy city manager and Drew Obarski and uh, from downtown Norfolk and some others are going to give a little presentation um, and have some conversation about that. And then we've got a, a one item for um, closed session. Um, but I have um, made a commitment to Ms. Johnson that we can be done by 6 o'clock. All right. Um, so, Josh, if you want to jump up and tell us about the agreement. Yeah. So, don't you want to just take those classes and pull Well, here's the deal. I have, uh, between the, the pan at Old Dominion this morning for parking and walking into the office, they're gone. And so, I uh, I am, I, I keep doing this all day. <laughs> so, sorry about these. Winter, go find them. They're on the Yeah. The HRC uh, agreement. That didn't come on up here. Either way, wherever you're comfortable. It, well, I'll just HRSD agreement. Uh, I guess it'll come before council next next session. Um, it's basically a bilateral agreement that HRSD is making with each locality. Their SWIFT program is designed to resolve the city's H, uh, TM, Chesapeake Bay TMDL obligations. There's a, if you recall, the TMDL is phosphorus, nitrogen, and sediment loading that is derived from an EPA model. And uh, the, the treatment that uh, HRSD is proposing should deal with not just our loads, but all the localities in the Hampton Roads area. And it's, it's a, um, we, we are estimating our TMDL cost to be around a $200 million price tag. So it is a huge deal, uh, which has, has not been funded for, for all kinds of purposes. The um, district is using their, their current budget to, to work this through, and um, they're starting a pilot project out in the advancement plan out of Suffolk. So, but it's a, um, it's, it seems like a clear advantage for resolving the, our TMDL low
we, we still have stormwater yeah, right. improvements that we're going to have to make. Right. Currently, we're... Regardless we're, of TMDL. Yeah, yes. And there's other TMDL coming down. This is just Bay TMDL resolution. There's bacteria and other PCBs and other TMDLs that are coming that uh, we are working to address. The, um, the um, HRSD project, I mean, the basically the Bay TMDL has not really been properly funded by the city. We're, we're going after low-hanging fruit, trying to uh, looking for um, where we can make improvements. And, there, and the state has had um, the, the SLAF program, Stormwater Local Assistance Funds, that's been helping us. So we've, we've been getting a boost from that, but it really needs uh, more attention. And we also have the quantity side, the flooding piece, which is not addressed by that. It, it stormwater remains a remains an issue. So, any other questions? Tom, thank you. You're Appreciate it very thank much. Um, so, uh, Dr. Boone, uh, would ask you to you know, come forward and uh, say a couple things as she's making her way to the podium. And um, uh, she and I have uh, spent the last couple of months, frankly, getting to know one another and, and getting our leadership teams together. So, I just want you all to know that on the first Monday of every month. Uh, her senior leadership and the city senior leadership sit down and talk about issues. And, and the first meeting we said, you know, let's get together for half an hour. And two and a half hours later, we said, you know what, this was probably a pretty good idea. And so we uh, got to know one another and uh, uh, conversation about it. A quick opportunity came up for us to advance uh, the money for them to acquire their buses next year with this year's money that allowed them to qualify for a couple hundred thousand dollar grant that literally allowed them to buy two extra buses. And so just a, a good example of what some constant and um, uh, consistent uh, communication does for us. But again, just wanted her to have an opportunity at the, at the frankly, the request of council uh, to spend a few minutes before you all, uh, but also have a conversation. So, Dr. Boone, good to have you here. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mayor Alexander, members of council, Mr. Smith. Um, we certainly appreciate the opportunity and the invitation to discuss the Norfolk Public Schools proposed FY18 budget. Please allow me to acknowledge Mr. Rodney Jordan, Chair of the Norfolk School Board, and also members of the, uh, the senior leadership team. Ms. Rhonda Ingram is the Chief Financial and Operations Officer. Ms. Khalil Legrand is our Communications Director. And Dr. Karen Bailey, who's the Executive Director, I mean, the Chief for Accountability and Information. A budget represents an organization's statement of commitment to essential operations designed to achieve certain outcomes. The NPS budgeting process has transitioned to year-round planning for outcomes aligned to the school board's mission, vision, goals, and accountability plan adopted in 2016. That accountability plan defines the metrics by which the school board will measure achievement of goals and expectations in three key areas. Improve student achievement and outcomes, safe and secure 21st century learning environments, community and parent engagement, community and parent engagement. The FY18 educational plan and budget has been developed through a lens of equity and our diverse school and community assets, focusing on the areas of the school board's accountability plan and through a lens also of organizational effectiveness and efficiency. As the hashtag NPS redesign implementation takes shape, our aim is to align existing resources and create systems for effectiveness, which will ultimately serve to improve student outcomes as we continue to strive to be an exemplary public education institution. 
Our redesigned work is centered on three essential components, leadership, literacy, and rigor. <coughs> As superintendent, I will never sit before you or stand before you and offer excuses for schools that have not yet reached full accreditation, declining enrollment, or for any other crit critical benchmarks not yet reached. However, I will clearly define our current status, our needs, our opportunities, including ways in which we can work collaboratively to meet shared goals of educational opportunity. NPS decline in enrollment has been linked by several entities, including the Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service at UVA, to a few <coughs> key factors. Declining birth rates, not only in this region but across the state, migration of the baby boomers, and also the impact of the loss of Navy carrier groups. In 2001, Norfolk Public Schools enrolled nearly 36,000 students and operated 54 comprehensive school buildings. Today, we enroll nearly 29,000 students and operate 45 comprehensive school buildings. We still continue to deal with the effects of the recession, including restructured state funding for public education. Both declining enrollment and shifting state funding have resulted in significant impacts in school operations, including a reduction of about 600 positions. We also recognize that there are a number of structural imbalances that exist within the budget. One of the things that I shared with the school board during my application and interview processes was the fact that, and I believe I said this at my first meeting here with council, too often uh, communities view the superintendent as simply being focused on the instructional side of the house and the, at the um, detriment of the operational side in the budget. I'm that different superintendent and that I pay very close attention to what's happening within our budget, within our operations and finance. As a result of the work we've been doing for the last 15 months, we recognize that we have some structural imbalances within our budget that warrant a different approach to how we address our budgeting process. Those structural imbalances have come about for a number of reasons. Decisions that have been made within the school district, um, decisions that have been made by, by council, and at the end of the day, we find ourselves in a place where if I'm to be the financial steward along with the school board in terms of how we address this, these matters, I have to be very public about what our challenges are and where those imbalances rest. And so our imbalances are issues of where um, through the recession, yes, we've had a decline of 600 positions, but have we looked throughout the organization in a way that we are strategically aligning our resources with our revenue and remembering that the child is at the center of the conversation? <clears throat> we also know we cannot continue a pattern of balancing budgets with one-time funds uh, to support ongoing operational costs because every year then you begin a new budget cycle with that deficit, with that hole. And so the budget that I presented to the school board and we spent four weeks um, vetting and deliberating and the board now has adopted and moved forward to council, seeks to address all of those issues I previously mentioned and it includes also begin the phasing in of recommendations from the pay and compensation study, funding the mandatory increases in the Virginia retirement system contribution, 
beginning the work on changing the current structure of employer contribution for health insurance, reinstating in-school suspension, and realigning instructional and support staff that, based on the decline in enrollment. We're strongly committed to ensuring good stewardship of our limited public dollars. At the beginning of our process, when it was just at the budget team within the administration, we faced a $19.5 million budget deficit. When presented to the school board, we presented a budget with a $9.5 million budget deficit. Include, that includes the $3.2 million in one-time funds that we used to close this year's budget gap. As a result of all of the bu budget deliberations, we, uh, the school board has presented to council a budget that has a $10 million gap in it. Even with all of these challenges, we have not eliminated or affixed costs to certain programs, such as advanced placement courses. As a district, we offer 24 advanced placement courses at no charge to students and families. We continue to operate and enhance our specialty programs and specialty schools. We're excited about the work that's coming forward with our comprehensive CTE school, and in about a month or so, we'll be um, rolling out and presenting some additional information to the community or to sectors of the community, and we'll be coming to council with a specific request for the $1 million that's been set aside to support that endeavor. And as we think about our underperforming schools, again, our hashtag redesign is about leadership, literacy, and rigor. That we have to pay, as instructional leaders, we have to pay attention to how we support the instructional program, how we align our resources around the curriculum, around the student, and build out from there. We know that we have a literacy challenge in the district, and what are we doing to address that, including the development of a district-wide literacy plan. And rigor is about not teaching to the test, but it is about preparing a student for the next set of educational opportunities through their educational planning. And so as it, with the joint meeting with, with council and school board earlier this year, we began the conversation and look forward to continuing the conversation of where are the intersections between community decisions and the impacts on schools as we go forward. So quick snapshot, and I know I've provided to the city manager some responses to, to questions that either he and his team had or members of council opposed, and um, so I'm certainly prepared for and look forward to the discussion. Thank you. Any questions by members of the council? Thomas. So has, have you or the school board made any contingency plans should there not be an additional $10 million? We always built the budget understanding that two things. We constantly hear from council, from the school board, tell us what you need. And so the $10 million was a reflection of what we need. And so if we don't get that, absolutely. We, we will go back to the table with the uh, <coughs> school board and prioritize which aspects of the budget won't occur. Is there a, and you may have just answered this, is there a priority already for the things that you see 
uh, that have increased the budget by $10 million this year. Have you prioritized those individual items already? Yes, I identified those just a minute ago when I talked about the focus around what we needed for improved student achievement, and that's our work around professional development, not programs, not chasing every new thing that, that's on the horizon, but focusing on the capacity of our teachers, of our principals, and our central office staff to support students and teachers for, for progress. The safe and secure 21st century learning environments addresses the uh, reinstitution of in-school suspension. Currently, we either have out-of-school, some afternoon after-school detention in our secondary schools, but we have no place uh, in school for, for a child who has a minor infraction of the Code of Student Conduct and warrants discipline but we either have out of school or in school. There was nothing in between. And we know that that's a big challenge for us, and we've seen the data where the, our number of suspensions far exceeds many in the state. And so using data to drive our decisions, that's what we put there. Um, we, we've also talked about the pay and comp study. One of the things we know from uh, what we know about the Norfolk salary schedule is our schedule is very competitive. It's, it's not the scale itself. But when I talk about instructional imbalance, one of the things that's happened over time has been compression of steps where people have not moved along as they would have in a successful educational career to the next level. And so we've done some years across the board raises, other years no raises, but there have not been any steps. And so when we hear, for example, we lost 90 teachers to other local school districts last year. And one of the stories that the board and I have heard over and over again is the fact that I left and I made more money somewhere else. So the board asked us to do this study, and what we found is that it's not about the pure dollar salary scale, but because they were placed on a step commensurate with their educational experience and teaching experience and other experiences, um, they therefore made more money. And so one of the things we know as we have been working through what will be the process around this uh, pay and comp study and beginning to move, we look at this as a four-year goal, um, not to happen in one year. It's, it's about a $20 million endeavor. So we are not looking for um, across-the-board raises, but movement somewhere one to three steps. We recognize we can't unpack all of the history in the future, uh, uh, all the past. Um, we don't have the money, the time, or the, the, the technical resources to do that in a way. But we are making a commitment about how we go forward and address the step piece. Um, so so that, that's, that's a part of it. And the board in its priority setting sessions, again, through the accountability plan, which is the framework for success, we have used that as our um, roadmap, if you will, for how we plan the budget using our data. There were only two growth areas in the budget this year. Uh, and, and the third one deals with something we cut, so let me talk about that. Um, Reinstituting in-school suspension was one growth area, priority under safe and secure schools. The pay and comp study, price tag of about $5 million, because that's across all employee groups, not just teachers. The problem is at every employee group. And um, then the, so, so those were the only two growth areas, a little over $6 million. We had $3.2 million in one-time funds, again, which created the deficit as we started planning for FY18, because those weren't carrying over funds. And then the uh, restoration of nine gifted teachers, about another 700000 So that's how we got to the $10 million. 
the reason I asked we've heard a lot about what what makes up that 10 million and, and at least a portion of that is the VRS employment contributions that have to be paid no matter whether we give you an extra dime or not correct that is correct and, and so it seems like that shouldn't have been something that came to us as hey this is one of the extra things you're paying for because no matter whether we give you extra money or not that's going to be included which is why I was asking you whether you've prioritized what that 10 million is going to do and including the VRS in that 10 million didn't really make sense to me. The VRS is not part of the 10 million. Okay. The VRS is part of the overall package because that is part of what we have to do. That's in the the cooperating. The 10 million as I identified are the, the one time 3.2 million dollars in funds we received from council to balance FY17. The pay and comp study the in-school suspension, and the restoration of the nine gifted positions. That totals the $10 million. Gotcha. The, the reason that there's reference to the VRS is that the state decided to accelerate by a year our payment of uh, full payment into the VRS system. We would have had another year, so it would have been about $1.5 this year. But because of the acceleration, that they say will save us money down the road in, in meeting that. We, we know how that works. Um, that's why we had to do it this year. Mrs. Gra Mrs. Graves and Mrs. Mrs. McCullough. Um, okay, so when you, um, I have a couple of questions here, maybe some news. You said that our suspension rates in Norfolk are higher than across the state. Yes. Is that because, in, we just have bad kids, or do oh, we have stricter rules than everybody? I mean, because e either we got bad kids and they're just getting kicked out of school, or we have stricter rules than everybody else across the state. I don't know any other reason. For well, there well, to be respectfully, no child is bad. Okay. So, I, as a superintendent, they, they violate the code of student conduct. I think what we found is we've our response to minor infractions tends to be. A little bit more than some other districts, but because other districts have in-school suspension, all that's why I'm saying all of ours is either out of school or no consequence or something that's after school that doesn't reflect. And so because of that, our numbers are up. We are paying close attention to uh, what we do with discipline. That's one of the other studies that we reported to the board on in January that they requested, which was an initial review of our alternative ed programming. And in that review, we talked about our processes, our delivery of, of services and educational services when students are uh, in alternative programs, the quality of those, and some consolidations and other things. And that's one thing that you will see in the budget document as one of our efficiencies dealt with the open campus program. We fully believe in the student population that's being served by that. But we couldn't continue the business model that was in place because we were paying everything except, well, we were providing everything and still paying out $440,000 to the entity to operate the program. So the teachers and the guidance counselor were already NPS employees. We provided the facility in kind. And so we made a decision based on some of the recommendations from the alternative ed study to bring the open campus program under our umbrella fully to move it to Norfolk Technical Center, wing of the school, which would also allow students access to Korean technical programs and allows us then to take Coronado, the facility, offline. And we will also save through that process. So, 
So there's in school in school suspension, and I'm just trying to in sure, this part sure. trying to understand. There's in school suspension. There's out of school suspension. So do we have more children? If you combine those two, are we? I mean, I know we don't have an in school, but are we? at a reasonable level across the state or are we still higher just because we only have that alternative so if some of those kids were in school our numbers wouldn't be we we so we firmly believe that our numbers would look different if we had an in-school suspension and until we we restore that it's going to be difficult to, to track those numbers but we do know that those numbers reflect okay. our students who are out of school from one to 364 days. Okay. Now, when you talked about the steps as far as other um, school districts and, and us losing um, teachers to other school districts and they're leaving because they're getting probably getting more money on the front end but also having the ability to get steps, are those districts somehow different from ours where their money doesn't come from their council? Are they taxing districts? No, there are no taxing districts in Virginia. Every everybody in Virginia, yeah. right, has the uh, money comes from right. city or towns. So they're still subject to. Right. It's just the decision that districts make different decisions at different times based on the circumstances and funding. Um, I'll, I'm not going to venture into Monday morning quarterbacking, but I do know that from when I was here before, we were working at one point to put more money in the beginning teacher salary because that was one of those non-competitive areas. And so you saw all districts putting lots of money or most of their new money into beginning teacher salaries to stay competitive as an attracting attraction for, for new staff. And so once that balanced, then the recession hit. And so strategies to balance the budget during the recession froze steps. And they've never been unfrozen. And so, there, there, as I said, there were years that we didn't offer anything across the board, steps or cost of living increases. And then there were years that we did cost of living increases and no steps. And so we have people who have been in the district for a number of years and are probably... Me. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Smigel is one. And like you said, the, it was across all uh, employee groups. And yet, where they are doesn't reflect their years of service. And years of service relate based on successful evaluations. Not everybody gets it. So to help you understand that, I've been in the district 17 years, and I'm on step three out of a 20-step system. 26. 26. Oh, that's right. Because they, they, when they went back, so they compressed steps. It used to be 30 steps. And they compressed them with the idea that you would get to the top faster but the recession hit and nobody got to the top faster. <laughs> you just stayed on your step. And so every once in a while you get a, a pay increase, which was great. I mean, it, you got a percentage increase, but the goal is, you know, I, I have 13 years left before I can retire and I'm step three, the end is never there. I, mean, I, I, I will never get to step 26 at the rate that we're going. And it just, um, it was a compression issue that happened years ago. And it is mostly probably the people that are in that middle if it's less of the first-year teachers and more of that middle. Well, actually, because of the recession, if you look at the presentation that was done, we find most of our compression between steps 1 and 12. 12. Mm -hmm. The last thing is just a suggestion. Sure. You mentioned a state 
district-wide, uh, I'm sorry, district-wide literacy program, yes. which really excites me because my mom was a teacher and re we had to read at my house in my household. Um, but I would suggest that possibly a partnership with the library um, because they have so many programs already in place and they have, they have locations already throughout the community with uh, a strategic partnership of Norfolk Public Schools employees along with library program, uh, library employees and their facilities might be something that could be very, very helpful um, and not break the budget. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> and actually, we really do have some exciting partnerships, and one of which I think is third or fourth grade that we partner to make sure every student gets a library card. And then, so those partnerships continue. They also support our summer reading efforts, making sure that in each of the branches they have a number of the literature selections and everything else. But certainly, we will make sure that that's part of our, our rollout. Thank you. All right, Mrs. McCullum. First of all, I am a proud Norfolk Public School parent, so thank good you. job. We have a, um, my kids are having a great year, and thank you very much. Um, as I look at the numbers, Here's the challenge, and I get a lot of questions about this out in public, and I'm sure you do too, and maybe this is more for the public and less for, for me specifically, but our ADM numbers are going down. Our per-pupil expenses are going up. So we're going down by about 2.7% based on the budget numbers, and we're going up by about 4.9%. Squaring that is sometimes challenging in the public domain, and a lot of questions come up. What are we doing with schools and capacity at schools, and how are we adjusting there? That's number one. And number two is um, health care. Health care is hard for everybody. It's hard in my house. Our health care expenses have gone up significantly. What we contribute versus my husband's company has gone up considerably. Norfolk employees, city employees, pay a percentage of their health care, contribute to that. Do Norfolk public school employees also contribute to their health care plan as well or at the same level or has that been going up and I'm just thinking for some I know that's part of the whole compensation package right. and teachers are already struggling but just for a, a parity standpoint of let me let me start with the health care and I'll come back sure. to the building piece the the health care issue is one of our structural imbalances and I, I reported to the board during my first budget session I've been here with two and a half months, two months really when I presented uh, the first budget to the board last March and talked about the inability to sustain our current contribution levels, employee contribution levels and employer contribution levels to the health insurance. So we started looking at options around addressing that going forward. And as you're aware, we're part of three entities in the consortium. City of Norfolk, NRHA, and Norfolk Public <clears throat> Schools. And you will find um, among the three entities different contribution levels and different support levels for that. So while the consortium uh, attaches itself to the same self-insured pool, how we get there in terms of our employees and employer contributions is, is different. Um, so we, we, we run the gamut. You know, we offer the different tiers of the individual, the individual and the child, the family, you, you know, all of those tiers. And so we're looking very closely as to what that will look like. One of the things, and I appreciate um, Doug's support in this, is that my term, nobody else's. I felt that MPS had abdicated its seat at the insurance table as part of the consortium. We're now back at the table. 
so that we can be part of that conversation and, and how that looks going forward. So we're, we're vetting a number of different options to rein in that, that piece of, of the pie. And in fairness to decisions that have been made and, and, where, and, and thoughts that the school board has had, particularly in those years when we weren't able to offer any raises or any step movement to employees, the offset was we would absorb 100% of the health care increases. That meant the employer and the employee share. And so that was the way in which we were able to try to offset some of the, and mitigate some of the losses of staff. And so we also know now the health care environment has shifted a great deal, <coughs> costs and everything else. So we, we're having um, very strategic conversations both with the city and within the, the district as to how we will begin to address that. So that's definitely on our radar screen and has been there since, uh, at least for me, since last March. The school building piece, one of the statements I made in my introductory remarks is the fact that we used to operate 54 comprehensive buildings and with the enrollment shifts, we now operate 45 comprehensive school buildings. The board in June of 2016 extended its contract with Dijon Richter Company, the educational planner we've been working with, I think since 2012 or so, 13, um, to help us think about building capacity, building utilization, and the programming that should drive the building use and, and, and capacity and utilization. So we have started that process with Tracy Richter and, and his team to look at what's going on. We had to shift his next um, presentation to the board will be in May. Excuse me, he intends to bring back an advisory group that they used uh, a few years ago to help us think about program and building utilization. And in October of this year, we'll present to the board, we'll present to the board a series of recommendations around facility utilization and up to including boundary changes, building consolidations, program consolidations, and perhaps closing buildings. So all of that is, is on our journey as we go forward. And when I talk about our budgeting cycle being a year-round cycle, the October timing of that report is intentional because it will impact our budget planning for FY19. It would also give the school board a chance to have any public uh, meetings about any proposed changes so that we can move forward to be ready for the opening of school in the fall of 19. So we're well on our way in terms of that work. And we have the building use of security, you and Mr. Jordan. <laughs> you talk about closing schools. Yeah, there's, there's in the minute somewhere in Suffolk what they call one time the Melinda Boone plan when I was in pupil personnel and in charge of rezoning schools. It wasn't pretty, but we have to do it. All right, Mr. Smigel. Yeah, I wanted to point out um, in the questioning that was um, previously sent out, I don't know how those questions were developed, but there seemed to be a focus on the first question about Norfolk's starting teacher salary and how it compared to the surrounding area. While we're the highest and tied with Portsmouth, um, we're only like 60 bucks more than Virginia Beach. So I, I don't want anybody to get the impression that we're blowing it out of the water with starting salaries um, on that in less than a thousand, I think, than Chesapeake. Although it's good when you're recruiting <laughs> teachers, I don't think that that was a fair representation of actually 
what's happening. Um, and it's always harder to recruit <laughs> teachers in an urban setting. Um, I'm not speaking on behalf of the school board or Dr. Boone or anybody, but on the um, elevator ride up, Angela and I were having a conversation, and one of the things that we discussed is um, not holding the superintendent accountable for any decisions that previous superintendents have made and giving Dr. Boone the opportunity to restructure and um, get to a point um, where she can present a budget that is her budget. Um, and it's hard because, you know, I, I believe, as we were discussing, the previous administration may have made decisions, even such things as the open campus concept and those contract agreements, you know, that may have changed a little bit of their budget planning. And you have to give that opportunity um, for them to be able to do that. Uh, one of my questions for you, Dr. Boone, and I guess Rodney, since he's here, is that if, and I, and I, if um, council were to propose, say, a tax increase that was completely dedicated to um, schools, is the school system going to stand with us and go out to the community and help us educate the public about <coughs> the need for that increase in funding? Um, and not leaving council to be the only ones, although we make that vote, but leaving it up to us to make that tough decision. Because what we have found is we're the ones that end up responding back to claims of not closing schools or, you know, enrollment is down. Um, but we also recognize that there's a need because costs have increased. So, I, and I truly believe that costs have increased more at the rate that you've lost money because of ADM. I'm sure if somebody worked out those numbers, you would see that the things that the states have passed on. But is there a willingness for the teachers unions, Tom, and other people to come out and educate the public about this critical need now in finding that funding? And I'm not speaking on behalf of any other council members, but if that were to be proposed, will you guys stand with us in that request? Rod, you're not compelled to answer that question. <laughs> See, uh, Dr. Boone told me not to come. Uh, no, actually, um, you know, if you recall when we worked together for the uh, support for the construction of the new schools, that really grew out of uh, the community, uh, talking to uh, school boards, and then collectively uh, talking to members of council. So I think we have a model in place where we've demonstrated that we're willing to stand together to do what's in the best interest of children, and I believe we would do likewise if, if that's the decision that we came to in order to uh, advance our school system and to be, be successful. Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, Mrs. Johnson. Um, hi, Dr. Hi. For the, um, the board, you and the board decided on the step increase. Was that going to be more beneficial for all of Norfolk Public Schools employees rather than the salary increases across the board? And One, how did you arrive at the step versus the salary increase? Because everybody um, talks about the salary increase and not fully paying attention to the step, how beneficial the step um, can be. Actually, what I've heard since I've been back has been about the step piece. And so when I work, the board and I working together as a governance team decided, let's look and see 
where our salary system has challenges. And so working with Siegel Waters, what we were able to see is that, as we were talking about it, through Step 10, we're competitive with everybody in this region and three uh, comparison districts in the Richmond area, Richmond, Petersburg, and Henrico. And so we were compared to all of those. Norfolk Public Schools' salary after, level, after Step 10 begins to um, outpace other districts. And so the longer you're here with us, the more likely you are to make money in the long run in terms of your career. The problem with the step was we weren't getting people to that place such that they could recognize that what the scale provides for them. And so that's why we looked at it, because if the, if the issue had been changing the salary scale to make it more competitive, that might have been the set of recommendations we worked with the board on. But what we saw across all employee groups was that the step piece was compressed and people weren't moving at all. And so because they weren't moving, they never got to that end point that would be, you, you, we know how the retirement system works. It's your three highest years of employment. And so we have folks that aren't getting there. And I fully understand the yeah. step because once the, compre the salary compressed and you're not getting a step whatsoever, it, it, it becomes devastating for a majority of our normal public yeah. school employees. Yeah. The, the other one is um, in reference to the um, suspension. Not, is it that um, not all of our schools have an in-school program at the school? Is, is that correct, Dr. Boone? Most of them do not. Okay. Okay. Right. Um, that was a, a budget balancing strategy some years ago uh, during the time that I was gone. And that's when they eliminated in-school suspension. Right. Now, schools were given some part-time money that they could use for after-school detention, or if you could bring someone in part-time to cover ISS. But if you need to be away from your core class for a day, you're only away for three hours, or you're asking teachers to give up their planning time in order to cover ISS. So it, it was all across the board. And most schools didn't have anything. Or so don't now have we're looking at implementing um, more in-school or timeout situations? In-school in suspension, the, okay. the true in-school suspension model, where students can continue to receive their educational programming through assignments and everything um, that are provided by the teachers. And this is, remember, in-school suspension is for very short term. It's, it's not there for multiple days, you know, maybe a couple of days max, and hopefully that's the only suspension a child would have, and then maybe later, but it's not designed to offset a student who has an eight or a ten day suspension because that would be served out of school. And as far as the, the literacy partnership, um, I know for a fact that um, Norfolk Public Schools and the city as a whole is doing a wonderful job with the partnership. The Norfolk Police Department um, is so proud and honored um, to be able to go into Norfolk Public Schools and have one-on-one -on -one tutoring with the scholars um, at the school and for many of the Norfolk um, Police Department uh, employees, they give more than just that year with that child. They have a tendency to follow that child 
through, throughout for a lifelong um, experience, as well as there is some interest for the Norfolk Fire Department to now become um, a partner with Norfolk Public Schools so that they can come in and provide literacy um, for the scholars as well. And if I may, Ms. Johnson, Department of Public Works is a huge yeah. partner with our students. They adopted Ruffner Academy and not a day goes by that you don't see someone from the city in that building. And, and you also have the Life Enrichment Center, um, um, the organization that has been in Norfolk Public School, Schools for quite some years now. And they provide that one-on-one -on -one, um, literacy for um, first, second, and third grade, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. So thank you for the partnership. You have a computer the, lab for us. Uh, a brand new computer. Right. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yeah. Brand new computer labs um, for the individual schools. Dr. Whitman. Um, I'm kind of the last one here. Obviously, I'm a huge advocate for the school, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm just going to lay it out here as a devil's advocate. I already talked with you and Rodney about this before, about we here and you all here that we need to absolutely address. One, I will just tell you, I do object to health care costs not being included in compensation. I mean, we've, I see uh, Virginia Beach teachers all the time as a physician, and they're all very frustrated because their salaries are not going up because they're paying more and more for health care. So I think all of it's important, but we need to make sure that we're recognizing we're improving their compensation if you're absorbing more of the health care costs. All right, so um, when we talk about um, the schools, the number one frustration, like Andrea's already brought up, our costs are going up, our enrollment's going down, you're not closing schools. I get it, we've had too much turnover in um, superintendents, but yet when you hear that the Dijon Richter was done in 2013 and now we're in 2017, and with the exception maybe of Coronado, we really haven't seen much savings and Coronado is upcoming. So that that's something that we can't just keep pushing off. I mean, I, I get your frustration on it, but there's got to be an answer on that. And um, I think many of our citizens are not feeling that they're hearing that. The other thing that we've talked about that I would like to see, I, I understand that you all have talked about the school improvement program at your meetings, and I'd like to say that we've all watched those and we all know those, but I, I can't admit to that. It would really be helpful for me, and I think many of us, if you all could pr produce maybe just a fact sheet, this is what we're going to do. We're going to decrease class size, we're going to increase school hours, we're going to have, you know, you name it, but something more than, yes, we're going to do this, and yes, we're going to improve literacy. Because, of course, we all have been trying to improve literacy for many years. And some more specifics about what does that look like? What does that cost? It's easier for us to go out when we make the argument for a um, tax increase that we can demonstrate this, I mean, obviously it's important for the compensation package, but what the bottom line is, is we need better instruction and, and improvement in that, and to get some really concrete answers to that, I think would be helpful for all of us. We're all prepared, well, 
I shouldn't say we're all. Many of us are prepared to argue for a tax increase. Rodney assured us um, that he felt that he had unanimous support on the board, or maybe a unanimous. Uh, so, you know, that's what we need to go forward. But maybe a little more definition. And I know one of these questions here, official school improvement plan, if yes and when, would be sooner than later. I know you all have done the work, but sadly many of us can't, um, can't uh, describe all those improvements. Well, I mean, that, that would really, really be healthy, healthy for us. And because I think we're all here talking about the same thing. We're all trying to get there. And, but we all need to be able to make that argument as strongly as we can when we go out to citizens. So. Absolutely. Um, Thank you, Dr. Wibley. We will certainly, and this is something we're actually developing. We, you know, it's we're kind of the, the cliff notes. Yes, what we, need. We, we got it, the elevator speech. And um, so th that is in development. And to your point about the, the um, facilities piece, that's why it's important for me, and I believe it's important with, with the board, also the way in which we're doing it by putting actual timelines and dates to things. So when I say that Tracy Richter will be at the board's meeting in May providing an update on where we are and that the full rec set of recommendations will be presented to the board in October, those are hard and fast dates. Because, again, for me, I can't keep chasing all of this stuff. That, that I'm having to deal with as I figure out how we go forward, as, as we do go forward. And so it's important for me to have the, the information that the board needs and, and that, that the district needs and the community to understand where we're headed and how we're going to get there. And I agree wholeheartedly that we certainly have to look at our portfolio of school buildings. But I hope that part of the messaging around this too will be it's not just about bodies and seats in buildings, but sometimes we'll have a building that may have maybe under 75% capacity because we need to preserve the programming that's in that building. And so that becomes that difficult trade-off when, when you're doing the pure numbers, bodies and seats in buildings and building capacity versus the program support. And I think we're going to make sure that we're very clear as to what the difference is um, um, for those pieces. The other piece that, that I think happens, too, in communities, though, everybody wants it until the line is drawn differently and impacts their neighborhood. And that's why I was saying to Ms. Graves the fact that, yeah, there's somewhere in the, in the Suffolk Public Schools archives where they refer to it as a Melinda Boone plan because the way in which I recommended to the board that we change boundaries. That, too, is the time that we will need counsel to walk with us because if we... If, if we agree that this is a direction that we need to go for efficiency as well as for greater programming opportunity, then we have to go there with one voice on those. And those are going to be those difficult days after October. All right, Mrs. McClellan and Mrs. Graves. Um, talk, sort of, uh, dovetailing off of that, um, specialty programs that are citywide, <coughs> uh, choice programs, I think are the crown jewel, um, one of the crown jewels of Norfolk Public Schools. And as we create more of those, you know, I've got two of my three kids are out of district, and they're going to schools that they never would have, uh, you know, I would have expected them to go to, but they're going to great specialty programs. And I hear from other parents regularly that there are so many more people who apply for these programs than there are seats available. So as we go through that improvement plan, I hope that you recognize that, because those are the parents who 
potentially leave Norfolk Public Schools to either go to another city for their programs or choose to homeschool or private school. So that's number one, um, just a shout out there. Um, one of the three areas that you're focused on, I was really pleased to hear, community engagement. I think, and we've talked a little bit about where we're getting volunteerism, et cetera. I think that is an opportunity for both the city and the schools, and I would love to help work with you all on that. I hear regularly from all sorts of folks from throughout the city, how can I help the kids? They don't know how to connect the dots. And I know we do a lot of work with the uh, Norfolk Education Foundation, but I think there's I think there's a lot of opportunity for people who are very skilled who want to help out in the schools with the kids, with the facilities. So, you know, I think we should really take that one on and look forward to working with you on that. Well, thank you for the shout out on our specialty schools. The school board's January January 20th retreat was an entire day focused on our specialty schools and our continued investment in those as well as enhancing the outcomes. Um, so that was uh, critically important. The other thing that we're beginning to see that's driving some results um, is the <laughs> Department of Interagency Collaboration and Wraparound Services, where I reprogrammed the position to create that office. Not, not a new position, just a new responsibility. And we're seeing the benefits of that now with our military uh, relationships, with uh, groups that want to mentor and, and leverage their resources for results. So it's not the partnership piece where people come in and volunteer, but this really is about how we're leveraging the resources of other organizations to address needs that we have in our schools. So we're very pleased with what's emerging through that work currently. And, you know, all of our military work, uh, Dr. Bailey hosts for us two uh, Department of Defense Education grants that are supporting our children, of mil uh, military-connected children. And if I may, Mayor, do one commercial. On Thursday at 6 o'clock, we will be, uh, the art program, the art show, will be unveiled at MacArthur Mall in the Governor's School for Arts uh, Gallery, the art of being a military child. So I invite all to be part of that celebration on Thursday. Mrs. Graves. Um, two things. I want to piggyback off of what Andrea said regarding volunteers because I do have people ask me all the time as well and there is a disconnect between people who want to volunteer in the Norfolk Public Schools and it really goes beyond just a background check and you know what they right. really don't there's no clear path for somebody to say like I want to help children who are struggling with math or I want to help children who are struggling with whatever and actually being able to put them to work or they have congregations of people, maybe small congregations, but people who are retired and want to help. So that piece would be very, very helpful um, to have outlined. Um, I will say that um, I'm not necessarily committed to a tax increase. Um, it's not off the table for me personally, but I'm not necessarily committed to it. I also need to see exactly what, if we're going to do this um, and we're going to um, toe this line, I think that two things need to happen. One, we need to know exactly what it is that's going to happen. And then two, the council as well as the school board needs to be committed to making sure that as a council we don't come back and try to undermine what we've all agreed to. Um, going back to what Tommy and I talked about, you know, one of the other conversations, not just blaming the, not just taking out on the current superintendent for mistakes of the past, but also on the current board as well. And so I think we have to come to this with this is the board that we have, whoever's going to be elected in 
a year or so or whatever, that is going to be the board and those are the people that are going to be making decisions and we can't circumvent their authority based on what another board three, four, five years ago did or didn't do. And, and sometimes I think that overshadows, that clouds the judgment in moving forward and actually accepting the expertise. I am not an educator. I don't even have children. So far be it for me to circumvent your, you know, expertise in that area or in um, that of the school board. And so I think it's very important that if we're going to be on one accord, then we need to stay on one accord, even when it gets hard or the results don't come as quickly as we would like them to or as the public would like them to, we have to make sure that we are working on one accord and that we are reminding them that this is a big picture and it's not like a, you know, take a pill and lose 10 pounds in a day kind of deal. You know, it just, it, it just takes time. And so that, those are the things that are uh, of concern to me when it comes to going back to the citizens and asking them um, to pay more money because all of us around the table will have to pay more money too. And Ms. Graves, you, you struck a chord in something that, that I had planned to say during closing comments, or my one closing comment, is that I think going forward there are going to be great opportunities, even greater opportunities for the two bodies to collaborate. You know, we're all watching what's going to, whatever's going to happen with federal funding for education and it's kind of up and down and whatever else. And so working collaboratively with our congressional delegation will be extremely important too in the coming days. So um, in your budget I know that um, every year there's money that gets um, rolled over from and but I know we've worked that out that before I think the school board felt that they had to ask council permission to take that back but we've worked that out now so you guys know that you get to keep whatever rolls over. I mean is that been included in your budget? I, I don't think that's the kind of, I mean, I think there's been a conversation that if the board, I can only talk about the one budget that I presented okay. last year. So, so how, how that, much, let that be my frame of reference. How much are you anticipating and rollover we, from? We're not there yet because of some of the things that are happening. Two reasons. The state did not come through on its portion, its share of the 2% mid-year raise. That cost Norfolk Public Schools $1.4 million for those SOQ funded positions. So we've been squeezing and tightening our belts to make sure that our employees didn't lose anything in that process. So that's, that might have been an opportunity for us. And so we have to look at that. And then we also have to look at some things that we're hearing coming down the pipe potentially at the federal level that may impact the closing of schools with certain grades. We're holding our breath. The continual resolution that's needed by Congress by April 28th has some things in there that could impact us there too. So we aren't ready to talk about if there are unencumbered funds that we would want to use as part of our budget balancing strategy next year. But do recognize, unless they're part of the base, they are one time also. Right. So yeah. just yeah, right, and I understand that completely. It just it's nice to know that as we continue deliberating our budget and we vote on it in May that there may be an opportunity um, to come back and see that there may be some savings or I think it was two years ago um, there was a surprise one million savings in health care that came back there could be some other things that can help bounce that just like in our own budget 
you guys always have the September retreat surprise where you come back with extra money for us that, you know, magically appear. Um, so, that was the old regime. Yeah. The whole thing about old regime. Right so, and, and I know it's not a, a huge amount, but I did, did also want to make sure, you know, and it always depends on the amount of money, but I think that there was before, when I first joined council, it seemed like that the school board always felt like they had to get permission for that and could it, it couldn't be included in the budget but I thought last year we had worked uh, right before you came Dr. Boone I think we had worked that out with Marcus that it was just an understanding that that money would go back to you guys now if you came back and said you had 15 million I, we'd have the <coughs> but I, I know it's usually about 2 million if, if even that um, right it was yeah. a, an understanding the, the council said at the retreat the council intends to always return that money and it always has. And I think the way it happened, at least again from my frame of reference of last year's budget, that when that became part of what the city manager shared with council, that would be the strategy to balance the budget. That's how, okay. because at that point they were also unaudited funds. Well, Dr. Boone, thank you very much. Let me, I just have a few uh, comments. Um, thank you. Um, thank you. A lot of information, a wealth of information, and certainly it's long overdue. Um, you're welcome to come back. Uh, Every week, if you let me just say that, um, that, that there is um, no tax increase in the budget that um, the manager and I um, are working on with staff. So there's no tax increase in that budget. And additionally, uh, there's not $10 million right now uh, in the budget. Um, our growth has only been about 2.5%. <coughs> and in order for uh, for us to, to appropriate an additional $10 million, it would take two things. One, to cut public services and public health, public utilities, public works, um, public safety. And still, I think that we probably need to find some, some other cuts. Or um, we would have to, to raise taxes. But to raise taxes to only address um, the $10 million and it that's that pay compensation and the in-school suspension and the nine gifted positions. And I think there's some other things that, that, that the, tax, the new money won't pay for, like the realignment of staff uh, based on declining enrollment. Um, we would have to do or put something else before the citizens. And that something else is a solid improvement plan that will address the failing schools, the 15 schools that have, met, have not met state accreditation. We would have to address teachers' pay and compensation we have to address the career technical education school that will guarantee our scholars a shot at being successful in the 21st century economy or on to college or even being fit to serve in the military. Um, safety and security, improving test scores and, uh, and graduation rates. The citizens and the residents will, will, will be asking, what's the plan to, to accomplish that? And, and then lastly, uh, this community engagement or community participation, community involvement, certainly that will be part of uh, the plan. How can I, how can I as a citizen, how can I as a resident, how can I how, as a business community, the faith community, how can we engage, how can we participate, how can we help to improve schools? So um, there's no new taxes in this budget and there isn't $10 million in this budget. However, it's still early. And uh, I look forward to working with the council to see what we can come up with. But again, you're always welcome to come to address the city council.
Thank, thank you for, for your comments, Mayor, and I, I truly appreciate the time with Council today. Um, my commitment to this community has been transparency in our leadership, and even when it's painful to know what the story is. And so because of that, I look forward to the ongoing collaboration and, and conversations around the work and, and how we get to that goal of, of what this community deserves and wants in this educational system. So thank you. Again, thank you. Mr. Manager. All right, thank you, Mayor. Um, as we transition, I know Dr. Byrne and her staff have got to get across town, so um, uh, Winter Bendit, Deputy City Manager, is going to uh, step up and talk to you about the, the Southern Arcade and, as I said earlier, introduce some folks from downtown Norfolk Council. But um, I think this is going to be an, an interesting uh, presentation for you, and, and it really is just that. It is a presentation for your information to, to let you understand how we're connecting the um, uh, the, the new main hotel and the new uh, Slover Library into the, the Selden. Uh, and I think it, it's helpful to understand what the arcade has been in order to understand what it can be. And so, Winter, take it away. Thank you. Uh, good evening, Mayor, members of City Council. Just as Doug said, today's briefing is about the Selden Arcade and where we're headed. But before we get to where we're going, I recommend that we understand where we've been. The Selden Arcade was built on the site of the Academy of Music, which opened in September of 1880 and was destroyed by fire on the 4th of April of 1930. After reconstruction, the Selden Arcade opened to the public. The arcade was meant to serve as a thoroughfare connecting Main and Plume Streets. Its Main Street entrance was just two blocks from the ferry landing and the arcade was touted as the quickest route to Portsmouth. The facility advertised the then-modern features of hot and cold water and toilets for both men and women. During the 1950s, the arcade earned the nickname Little Wall Street because of the many investment and insurance companies housed there. In 1982, planned renovations included placing doors at both entrances, new mosaic tile flooring, and restoring the Art Deco design throughout. In 1983, Fest Events co-hosted a St. Patrick's Day bash in the facility for some 3,000 guests, a significant feather in the cap for Fest Events as it was their first public event. In 03, the City of Norfolk negotiated a site purchase of $2.1 million, 25% less than the asking price. In 05, the Selden was officially dedicated as a new home to DeArt. Fast forward to 2015 and Slover Library opened using parts of the Selden Arcade for its first floor cafe and second floor children's area. Following the opening, an explosion closed Selden, forcing the art artists to relocate. And today, we have the potential to create a new experience for generations to come. What was once revered as a strategic thoroughfare could again become an economic hub of culture, commerce, and vibrance for our community. And not to be redundant on the history, but wanted to point out just briefly that between that explosion and present day, it's been about a two-year window that we've really kind of wrestled with this. Amidst all that, um, we had facade improvement on Plume, and you can see current facade improvement on Main Street, which I prayerfully hope concludes on April 20th. Um, as, I've, as we've lived with the city staff, we've learned a couple things. Principally, that this is a big connector between Main and Plume Street. You heard that it was the portal to Portsmouth amidst the hot water and toilets, right? Um, but it was also this key connector 
and it has been. And so while Atlantic and Granby are great for our residents, what I've also heard from many people downtown is they miss this as a pass-through, especially when it's raining. Also, I'll use this as, this is Doug's phrase, I'll use it, this idea of new suits and old shoes. So we have the main, who we've opened up the past two weekends, and it's fantastic. The Slover Library, which is known nationally, if not known world, uh, worldwide, that these new suits, and we have this, not to put it this way, but these old shoes in the Selden Arcade. And so what do we do? So I will say that amidst all this, who's come to the table within the last six to eight months has been the Downtown Norfolk Council, and they have been brilliant. They have really taken up where we've wrestled with this question quite a bit and really taken the ball and moved forward. To my point about it being a pedestrian uh, connector, you can see here just visually what it orients to and where and what things come around this area. As well, I'd like to show you how to connect, right? So not only simply are those new suits standing adjacent to the Selden, it's also our intent to connect. So here you see a drawing or a concept that shows how we connect from the main. You're looking from the main into the Selden Arcade. Next here is uh, working with uh, work program architects help to understand it. If you've been to the Slover, you know where the friends have their book display just as you go down the ramp towards the bistro. This is where we would connect using some of the or many of the same elements that you see in the library currently. Part of all of this, what we've found in working with uh, particularly the Slover Foundation and the Slover Library is Ben Franklin, while he was this great advocate for libraries, he also did all these wonderful um, experiments involving electricity and other. And having visited the Virginia Science Museum, we've learned that these maker spaces are becoming big parts of libraries. And remember, the Slover is more than just a library. It has all these wonderful elements that um, green room, uh, a kids room that involves more bells and whistles than I can ever imagine. And I think thinking through the idea of connecting, it's how in what ways can we also augment the opportunities that are in the library currently. Some, some of which, and I think it may have stopped because it's not making the noise any longer. Well, I can't hear it over here. So we have two, uh, we have a 3D printer over here. So our concept of what we're thinking about in this maker studio is what you'll see just over there. And you can, at your opportunity, walk, walk over there. And that's, they're called Chip and Dale. I think that's Dale. Chip is currently under repair. So we, we hope that the two of them are up and, well, this one's up and running, but we hope that the other is up running soon. So contemplated in this maker studio are other things other than just the 3D printer. It's also sewing machines, yes, believe it or not, laser cutters, and also another sound recording studio. So to show you what that looks like, remember the connector that I showed you? On either side, we'd have this maker space or this silver maker studio. So again, the idea of bringing activity into the space where we want, especially this pedestrian walkthrough. The next piece is this, this partnership that I cannot speak highly enough. And I have Mary Miller, who's the chairman and exec for the Downtown Norfolk Council, her board chair, Jim Wofford, who's here, and many other people, Kevin Murphy, I see, Mel Price, and, well, Ray King's here as well. So all these wonderful people came together at our, what I'd say is a go-no-go. -no -go. Remember this new suits, old shoes, how do and what we're going to do to activate this, what I call a, a great space. So in talking or noodling it with them, they said, well, we have this opportunity with vibrant spaces that may work for this, for this area. And so we said, well, all right, what would two to three years look like, right? Because we don't want to be... Remember, it was two years from the explosion to current day, and I'm still working on the facade. So how do we ensure that we keep this momentum? I think what we've said is momentum is sometimes fickle. We don't want to mess with that. We want to keep it moving. 
So I'm going to turn this next portion over to Drew Ingartsky, who's also part of the D downtown Norfolk Council, but we also know him as chairman exec for GROW. Drew? Good evening. Hi. Uh, last time you guys saw me here was about two years ago, and I actually brought what was the original Vibrant Spaces program. And I thought I would quickly show you uh, what came of that program and how that's led us a little bit to where we are today. Vibrant Spaces actually launched uh, in May 2015, so almost two years ago. Um, in that program, we had a phenomenal response. We had seven uh, weeks of, of applications and 86 new businesses applied to come open their businesses in, in downtown Norfolk. We also had about 12 existing businesses downtown apply for grants. And so since that time, we've already helped open uh, several businesses, if you've seen Prince Inc. and Lamia's and Muddy Paws. And we've granted eight businesses throughout the city to help them improve their street level vibrancy, which is everything from inside their, their storefront to outside their storefront. How do they make a more compelling experience for their consumers? Um, what I'll also show you is that <clears throat> from that original pool of 86 applicants, um, we've actually had a bunch of other businesses open around the city. And so we talked to, at the last um, presentation about how we wanted this to help uh, ignite interest in, in the entire city. I can show you a little bit of how that ha that's happened and how we're going to uh, play off of that going forward. Um, and then really, you know, one of the, the key things I told you last time was, yes, this is an economic development program, but the reality is this is, this is a tool for us to tell the story about Norfolk, to get uh, press and marketing generated about Norfolk. And so we saw, you know, dozens of press articles from local and regional to even national publications covering what we did with this, this unique program. Um, some of the, the pictures of the businesses that we've helped open, so Prince Inc. is on Granby Street. What we loved about them was they're actually a service business masquerading as a retail shop. And so <laughs> as you think about, and we'll talk about kind of what that means in, in the new world of, of retail and, and storefronts, what businesses thrive and what, what place do street-level businesses have, this is a wonderful example of that, where they're actually making their products through the windows there, and they're bringing them out there into the storefront. And everything that they're offering is something that they've made for themselves or for another customer. Um, La Mia's Crepes, uh, so she's also uh, in the 400 block of Granby Street, and she uh, came to us and, and this wonderful little French lady, and she said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring real authentic crepes, and there's nothing like this around here. She took a 700 square foot space, and if you've ever been in it, it's, it's you know size of a large broom closet, and she um, and she she activates it remarkably well. And she said, you know, I want people to see us, uh, um, you know, baking those crepes, and I want people lined up and sitting along the walls and outside. And so she's done just that. And they're very yummy. And they are so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and the last, uh, you know, the, uh, the third of the businesses that that we've helped open is Muddy Paws, uh, and specifically Muddy Paws came to us and said. They wanted to do a downtown-based concept. So we knew we had you know, just over 5,000 residents at the time, a growing pet population. Um, Buddy had the idea of doing this, this dog run, which we kind of knew was in the back burner. And, and, and they said, you know, let's bring our, pres our residents uh, together around their pets. Let's create a self-service dog wash. Let's create events in there around pets. And so they've done just that as well. Some of the, the businesses that we've granted here are throughout downtown, including the Neon District, so work release with outdoor dining and signage, and Leone's, and Leone's on the side, and 
the uh, Copeland Center. Brick Anchor, I think, is a remarkable example of, of what we want to try to encourage businesses to do, to open their storefronts uh, to the street and really activate their sidewalks. Um, Grace O'Malley's, as you know, they've, they've built this Irish pub, literally shipped these things from Ireland, and, and just an authentic experience that we really loved. And we've just helped the Wells Theater uh, revamp their storefront and their or the, this classic building and also the lobby so that it's a, a more vibrant experience for their, their customers. These are some of the other applicants who weren't awarded in our program, but in fact have now opened throughout the city. So you can see them, uh, you know, everywhere from Ghent, several of them there, to uh, 35th Street, Neon District, and several more in downtown. All, all original applicants, and, and while we can't take credit for them opening, I think, again, we're, what we hope to do was drive energy around opening a small business in Norfolk. But here's the thing. Here's the key, one of the key things. We learned a lot in the program. It was a remarkable effort. A huge amount of work by, by the Downtown Norfolk Council and this committee and, and our community partners. Um, one of the key things we saw right away was that more than half of the, the applicants for our, from our 86 um, uh, new business applicants wanted the smallest space in the program, 700 square feet. And the next <coughs> biggest space was four times that size. So we, we recognized right away we had all these incredible puzzle pieces. They didn't necessarily belong to the same puzzle. And from that moment on, we were trying to figure out what's a way to bring more of these businesses to life. We need a space for the smallest businesses. Oh, by the way, those were also the most fledgling businesses. They were the ones who had probably the most moonshot ideas, but, but they were very hard to take risks on. I mean, we were putting people into multi-year leases in, in spaces with landlords who, who wanted to know that their, their tenants were going to stay. So it was a challenging environment for us to do that. And that's what really was the genesis of this effort to create <clears throat> what we're calling an incubator market. And the idea is that we bring together a bunch of small businesses into one space where they can build their businesses together. Um, we give them a, a low rent and we give them a short-term lease rate, which is something they have a really hard time finding in traditional lease structures. And we let them uh, build their businesses together in a community environment. So they're, they're learning from one another. They're also drawing in, you know, each, each of their audiences helps grow the other audiences. Um, and again, you know, we are thinking about this as a program to incubate for, for the entire city. The arcade, as Winter said, is, is, a, is a merging of shared interests. So we've been thinking about this literally for two years. I mean, since our, our initial selection, right away we started to try to make this, this thing happen and in fact had a space we were working towards. It wasn't quite as, as good and, and, and through both the previous administration and the new administration, sort of saw there might be an opportunity with Selden, and that's that's kind of come forward. And we've really, you know, looked at how that could happen and found that we're incredibly excited about how that that would work. Um, as you guys know, that, that we've, we've got the most remarkable neighbors we could ask for in, in the main and the Slover, and they literally connect into the building. And so, for our prospective tenants, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity where if we're going to build the future of street level businesses, we'll have no better place to do that um, than, than the Selden Arcade. And as Winter said, you know, we're thinking about this as an interim solution and, and in many ways a test. So we'll do this and we'll find out what's working about it and what's not. And if we find that it, that it needs to change in some way, then we'll change it. And if we find that this isn't the best use for the arcade, we can move it. And, and that's a key part of the design that, that we've been looking at. Uh, this is definitely a progressive concept, but it's not uncharted. 
and we've been learning from the best concepts around the country in, in um, things that are true, uh, incubators, retail incubators and street level business incubators, um, other things like markets and food halls um, and hybrid spaces. So here's a couple of them. One is, is called Made Here in Portland and they, they bring together only products created in, in Portland, Oregon. The shops at Modive and Grand Rapids, you can see they've got a, kind of a similar setup as what we would have in the arcade. So they've got these kind of mini storefronts that each of their, their businesses can occupy. And then you see other concepts that are more kind of open space, multiple vendors who can, who can sell their wares in, in, in one place. And again, we're, we're sort of exploring the, the, um, the, the spread here of different uh, influence. And one of those things is also even food halls that you see really emerging in, in sort of more progressive markets um, as an exciting concept. What we're looking for in tenants are street-level businesses who will thrive in the modern world. So this is the world of Amazon, and this is the world where, you know, um, uh, it's, a, it's a changed world. It's not just a, a Norfolk challenge of what is the purpose of a street-level business. This is something that the sort of globally businesses are trying to find out is sort of what's the, what is the purpose and the focus of a street-level business. And so we think about those things as retail, yes, but also experiences and also food and also services back to uh, Prince Inc. is our example. And the very best of, of those examples will be hybrids. I mean, we'll think of people who have non-traditional business models. As I would tell you about the, the application process, my favorite thing about it, uh, and, and again, even from the, the program we originally ran that helped us inspire this, was we have no idea we, um, exactly what's going to come forward. We're going to have people come forward out of the woodwork with business ideas we've never heard of. And that's the most exciting thing, that they can show us new products and new services that, that um, will excite people. And of course, we are going after the same things that we did in the original program, which is exceptional design, you know, exceptional one-of-a-kind products and regular activation. So we want people who are setting the bar for uh, active street-level businesses. As Winter said, uh, the partnership is, is structured in such a way that we can, uh, the DNC, and, and, and sorry if I forgot to say, I'm the chair of the Vibrant Spaces Committee at DNC, um, operate and, and run that market um, and, and also help promote it. So we're, we're nearing a, a sort of final stage in um, being able to announce our call for entries. We expect that in the next couple of weeks. As I said, we'll have um, both incubator storefronts, and we'll also have a chance uh, to bring in potentially mentor businesses, businesses who can trade their skills and their expertise in exchange for a really great location and a favorable rent rate. Uh, and then we also are thinking about, um, I'll use the term kiosks or booth type space, that smaller businesses can come in and try out concepts on an even shorter term basis. Can we tr let people rent a booth by the week or even by the day, uh, pop-up businesses? <clears throat> And we're ex exploring a shared kitchen concept. So a lot of these, that's the, the hardest thing for a new food concept to get off the ground, is that they, they need a, a kitchen, and a kitchen is a very expensive endeavor, and so we're structuring a, a, a potential approach to a shared kitchen space. This is the um, uh, overall floor plan, and, and forgive me if you've, you've seen most of this. Have you guys seen most of this? Should I walk you through it? So the, the blue, of course, up here is the uh, connector to the Selden, and down here is the connector to the main. And the key thing for us is the orange. So that's um, uh, the, the market territory. And, and you can see that we're trying to activate both the storefront spaces and especially that, that walkthrough space. So we want to create this, the most incredible experience for people who are passing through both from Maine to Plume and from the library into, into the Maine and so on. Um, and this yellow space is, is um, potential expansion space. 
what we're what is referred to as the lounge really just think of that as sort of open seating and and sort of support for those those businesses so what does that look like um, we've been working with the team at WPA to imagine a concept that um, is both befitting of the space. I mean, we want to um, recognize the, the beautiful and sort of high-end space that we're in. We've got the Slover and the Main, both of which have a, have a really amazing finish to them, and so we've brought in some of those materials. But we want this to also feel modern, and we want this to feel uh, progressive. And so you can see kind of a, a really unique use of, of woods, for example, and sort of bringing that together um, in both the, the hall here and, and the outside spaces. Um, here you can see another view, and these are all sort of conceptual drawings. We're, we're working right now to get these finalized and, and hopefully moving into actual production on them. But you can imagine these booth spaces where it's seating and it's, it's bar tops and stuff that, that really on a regular day people could just hang out there as they're, they're um, you know, supporting the different businesses there. And then we have these pop-up spaces where businesses can come in and merchandise along those walls and, and try out a new business concept. The still images don't quite do it as much justice as the WPA team's beautiful 3D render uh, as you can get a sense of what it would be like, uh, I suppose, to be a small bird in that space. But, <laughs> but, um, but really, again, just, a, I think, a beautiful uh, modern and, and uh, befitting take on, on how that space could be interpreted. And that's where we are. So happy to... Uh, you have any questions so, if you got so, them? But. So, Winter, let me um, tell you what, what, I'm, what I don't see and what I'm missing. So you have uh, hundreds of, or maybe thousands of people uh, attending conventions and conferences at the main, and they're likely to be there for a few nights. And you have uh, thousands of, of, of people working downtown, and, and now living downtown. The likely person or persons to use this space are from those categories, those who are attending conventions and meetings and conferences, those who are at the Slover for meetings and just at the library for, for other things, and um, people who work downtown and live downtown. Does this concept support that or this is just filling space when you have too many rooms in your house and you just want to fill the rooms with furniture and, and, and what have you. So what are we doing here? Because I'm not clear if we're I can speak for my intentional for the program. Uh, we are very intentional. We the Selden opportunity for us is is sort of the best in class example. And I'll tell you for all the different uses I've heard uh, wax poetic about what that space could be. I would say this one is a remarkable use. Um, I keep referring to, to this space as one, this, the place that I will take all of my out-of-town guests and I will show them this is what our city's about. This is the new energy of Norfolk. This is where people are creating the businesses of tomorrow. It will be, I think, the most exciting uh, businesses and products and a one-of-a-kind experience that you're not going to get anywhere else in this region. And I'd stand pretty firmly behind it. Mr. Mayor, the only, just to follow up on what Drew just <clears throat> mentioned, we didn't do it in a vacuum. We, we went and talked to uh, the Slover Foundation, and we did talk to the developer of, uh, of the main, and both of whom so have seen this concept and are very, very supportive. So they are the people that are going to be driving people into that location, <laughs> have seen what we intend to produce, and are supportive. And what if we own the space? Will the 
tenants be paying rent, market rent, or how, how what's the relationship? So just, um, if we look within the last four years, two years of which I've received no rent because I haven't been able to occupy. Two years previous to that, DAR, um, I worked with them in my previous portfolio. They, uh, just to give you a frame of reference, they paid $3 per square foot. And, that, and they had a, an accelerator but never got past that $3. So again, it's a two, three year uh, window. We're gonna, to make it as successful as possible, I think we've contemplated a, a rent. Have we settled on what that looks like? Not yet, sir. This is important. It's a new day. Um, two or three years ago, you probably actually Right, you probably could not get uh, the dollar that you can get today. It's a new day. Aim high, Winter, aim high. All right, Mrs. Graves. <laughs> and, and I will say, Mr. Mayor, um, as for the, and I'm going to use uh, an art, unscientific term, but the guts of what DNC intends to activate, uh, if I'm going to aim high, sir, I'd, if we go back to the image, I'm going to look at those retail spaces at the either end of both Maine and Plume. That's where I think where your goes. We've been woeful in, in, uh, in getting a tenant for it. And previous to that, we had uh, Starbucks, I think was at $14 per square foot. Don't hold me to that. So um, yes, sir, I will aim high. And I, I just wanted to give you a bit of frame of references to where I think I can get that market rate we're talking about. And I understand it is a different day. I think if you do an RFP to put it out there on the national scene, you may have some other interests and someone will come in with some other concepts, some other ideas. Bring me more than one. All right. Mrs. Graves. I really agree with you, um, just in that um, I'm wondering how we're going to drive people there outside <coughs> of tourism, and, and is that going to be enough to sustain um, these businesses, and two, if they're trying out a business, for lack of a more sophisticated term. Um, I don't know how much real um, usable data they're going. Those business owners are going to be able to um, garner from their time there, because if we're utilizing tourism as the market for this concept, then outside of this incubator concept, does that business work? And so it may work wonderfully inside a controlled environment, if you will. But once you take them outside of a controlled environment, um, does it, it, it is it able to stand up and be sustain? Are those business owners able to be sustainable um, on their own? I agree with the mayor. I I would like to see something else. It, it, it the pictures and everything are great, but the concept is like. A collage of a really nice upscale flea market of different businesses and so I'd like to see that is in my mind it, it is beautiful it's historic it's got a lot of potential and I think that we may be settling it may be the best thing that comes out it, I mean we may get three or four other proposals that look just like this but I think that I would like to see something else to have a choice from before settling on. Quick characteristics. Um, what we propose is uh, flexible and movable. And uh, my concern, because um, parallel to this, absolutely, 
I mean, it's a two, three-year window that we're, we're looking at. So what we construct there is something that is flexible. So the immediate term, I recommend highly that we partner with downtown Norfolk Council and move forward. Because if you pull it back, I understand maybe catching you solid here and what you see. I'll say, I'll say and listen, I am, I'm not the person. These people live it and know it and are, have their pulse on what I'd say is the Amazon world, is that what, or some of what we see. But this is where I see cities going or what I've seen as far as uh, direction. And, and, you, and it's not apple to apple, but I'll at least point out, and, and you have to drive there, but there's the Vibe District. I went up there, and I went into each of the different proprietors in there, and I'll tell you that people, um, while it's, where? this is 19th Street in Virginia Beach, excuse okay. me, it's called the Vibe District, and it has components of what you've seen in this concept. And I'll tell you, it's, it's highly successful. Uh, one of the, one of the people that are in there talk about this, this concept of high-end and what people might be interested in. North End Bag, so you get a free shout-out on TV. Um, their, their, their slowest <laughs> price point is $300 for a bag, and people are buying them hand over fist. And I'll tell you that unlike our city, that this is a pedestrian, I mean, Mr. Mayor, you talked about it yourself. These are people that are coming out of their businesses and or are already downtown visiting and dedicated foot traffic. Five District is a destination place that people have to drive to, and they are doing that. So my, my recommendation was we go with what I believe is a very, very um, well put together um, concept and a reality because Vibrant Spaces has a brand and a name that's known. And I believe that there are people who are already clamoring to be a part of this next phase and that parallel to that, that we do look at what that third year may look like. And, and that's, that's, that's easy to do. All right, so Mrs. Grade, will you finish? Yep. Another? All right, Mr. Thomas, then uh, Mrs. McCullough. Thank you. Uh, I, I like the concept, and I don't think we have to look outside of the city of Norfolk to see how this works. As I already mentioned, you see Lamia's crepes. That's something that wouldn't likely exist in downtown. We gave them an opportunity, and they're great, they're delicious, and they're here, and they're walking by. And so I think we're likely to see very similar things crop up. I thought of North End Bag as you were talking earlier. I think that's Again, a great another plug. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you buy one. You own one. Why sit me up? But it's it's you know that's a company that's local. People are making something that's local rather than buying it on Amazon and, and coming from some country uh, far away. So this is this is this is the progressive thing to do. This is what progressive cities are doing, and they're being successful. And so I, and I have all the confidence in the world that DNC and Mary Miller and Rachel McCall that. They'll run this well uh, because they have the best interest of downtown in mind, and they, honestly, I just believe they know how to do these types of things. And, and so, I, I think this is a good move. And like Winter said, if it doesn't work, we wake up two years from now, it doesn't work. We just switch gears. So This is I absolutely endorse this. I think it's great. I think that it's very low risk. We're talking about, you know, if it doesn't work out, we go elsewhere. Listen, I, I've been to. New York and Philadelphia and London and you know this is happening this is what we should have in Norfolk the other thing that I want to comment on is we do a great job of supporting big companies and big economic development in the city of Norfolk we don't do quite as well with our small companies this is an opportunity to do that and to support them and while Mr. Mayor I totally appreciate the fact that you want to get rent I want to support our companies too and I want to support future economic development this is the opportunity for them to launch get their feet wet, and then grow into something bigger where they are going to start paying market rent. I mean, I think this is really fabulous and cool, and um, I, two thumbs up.
Dr. And just very quickly, Drew and Mary and, and everybody, you know, I know you've been working hard on this. I know you've had some pushback, and I'm excited that we're finally here, and I appreciate that, Doug, that you kept, and Winter, kept moving on this. Um, since I've been on City Council, since I've been going to DNC meetings, it's all about street-level retail. And Drew's exactly right. It isn't the street level that we all grew up with. And it needs to be different because um, we cannot compete otherwise. And this is this is it. And, and I get it about the rent, but right now what are we getting for the rent? Zero. And, um, you know, we don't have anybody banging down our doors right now to get this started. So success brings success. You get this started, it does well. Other people want to come in and they're big hitters, then they're going to pay more. Um, so I, I just think this is the way to get started, especially because, like Andrew said, this is a really low-risk issue, and we need this space occupied. If we want the main to survive, if we want Waterside to survive, we can't have a big, empty space. It needs to have some vibrancy, so kudos to you all for all this hard work. Mrs. Johnson. Um, we're having great ideas um, focusing on downtown Norfolk, but what if? Just what if we were bold enough, we were risk takers, we were dreamers, that we could take some of these concepts that we're spending our time downtown Norfolk, which we know that's the hub of our city. What if we could branch out and take some of these great ideas and take them into our community? Because that's where we're missing it. I think that we're confining ourselves just to say that we're just going to take these great ideas and, and put them downtown. What is going to bring people into this city is the communities, that are the communities. And I would like to see um, when we talk about storefront and we talk about street level businesses and we're talking about incubators. Um, and small businesses um, in one large space. Some cities are doing that outside of the downtown area and within communities itself. We talked about an innovation um, center um, for Broad Creek or whatever, wherever, whatever community it could possibly be. We need to start planning to take these wonderful ideas. And since we already have the experts and the DNC here representing the great big picture for the city, allow them to plan for the community as, as well. Well, um, and that's what they're, they're doing. I mean, I think you heard, they've moved to 35th Street, they've moved to Ghent. That's the plan. This is pilot. And even though DNC works on downtown, we as a city can grow on this and, and we've got through and, and Mary have a long list of people that want to do this so we're matching them up with other areas but you're right this has got to be a pilot this has got to be the start to this but it already maybe is going out to different neighborhoods but you're exactly right it needs to spread all right Mr. Smeagle uh, do I need to say something? Everybody else has. <laughs> no, I, I, mean, I just I agree with Mamie, and I, I I do think though, once this happens, instead of just encouraging them to occupy a downtown space, we should have identified by the point that this is ready to expand, 
places like in Ward's Corner. I mean, there are so many opportunities at Ward's Corner for that. Yeah. There's shopping centers all across points. the city. That, you know, you're, we talk about craft breweries that they always kind of hover around Chelsea, but why aren't we getting them out, you know, in other places as well? I mean, it, it's a great idea. So good, good luck with it. Mr. Manager. All right, Winter, thank you, Drew. And Manager, folks, just oh, one, I just, I, I know that's, get off the mic. Right? I got to yeah. sales 101, buddy. No, 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 no. I, I think, I think it, you know, it, was said, it, was, it was said, but I think I need to reiterate what kind of partner DNC has been on all Because I'll, I'll tell you, we, we labored on this. We did issue, and I think you saw kind of the pro progress or timeline. And this is volunteer time that these folks have, have lent into this. So I, I just wanted, again, to, to take the time and say thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you very much. All right, Mr. Mayor, with that said, we've got one item for uh, closed session. Real estate item. Are we breaking the If it works, we're going to close and grab, grab some dinner or whatever. I'll let you see. I'm actually going to try to make a school performance for my kids. Dinner, dinner on my agenda. I never eat anywhere. 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 I never eat an